So I know it's been like a little over a year since we talked. So it's awesome that we can reconnect and everything. Um, yeah. Tell me, I know that you've been up to a lot of really cool things. Um, maybe just tell me about a few of them. Like what, what's been going on on the book side of things? So um, I believe the last time we talked, actually, um, I had pitched sort of a fantasy that I had written. Um, I actually ended up shortly after our conversation, I started a different manuscript uh, sort of as a personal challenge right around the start of quarantine uh, because I had never written anything with any romance in it before. Um, and so I decided to write a romance and I actually set the romance in Iceland because write what you know. Um, and, uh, it, that's what landed me an agent, not the fantasy. So, <laughs> really um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, you know, it was interesting cause it did start out just as a very personal, like, well, I'm going to do this to make myself do it. And then when I finished it, I was like, I guess I could query a few people and um, I sent out a few queries and got really positive response. I got like a couple full manuscript requests like right away. And so it was like, OK, this this is different than the response I was getting with the fantasy. So I've shelved the fantasy for now and um, been working on editing that romance. Uh, now it's out on submission and uh, I have a couple other projects kind of. It's been a busy year. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about the the romance in Iceland. That sounds awesome. Sure. Um, so the premise is kind of just simple, straightforward. I guess a lot of romance is. Um, but it's about a woman from London who leaves behind her stagnant life. You know, she just got out of a bad relationship and uh, goes to do a work-stay program in remote southern Iceland. And while there, she didn't really expect to fall for a local, but she sort of ends up falling for her rude standoffish boss at the work stay program so it's kind of a enemies to lovers type thing um but uh yeah so i uh, queried a few agents with that and um ended up my current agent amy she is she was like my top pick when i was querying for this actually i had like little stars next to her name and everything um <laughs> And uh, she read it within like two weeks of me sending it to her and offered representation. And so then we spent a few months editing and now we're just kind of waiting to see what kind of book deal we might get. <laughs> That's awesome. So like, how did you go about, um, once you've written the book, how did you go about like thinking about what kind of an agent or which agent would be the best fit for it? So I spend... Well, I should say I spent, because I don't have to anymore. I spent uh, a ridiculous amount of time on manuscript wish list. I literally went through, like, the whole list alphabetically <laughs> and just would read what each agent was looking for. And um, in the case of Amy, uh, she had, on her manuscript, I think it's still there, it says um, that she's seeking romance and that she loves small town and international settings. And I was like, okay, so I feel like I'm hitting a lot of marks here with this, you know, small town Icelandic romance. Um, and so I actually waited to query her and queried some people that were just not the perfect fit to see the responses first before I finally was like, okay, now I'll send it to the person <laughs> I think will really want to see it. <laughs> and it turned out it worked. So how did you go from like the idea to like figuring out how to like, taking that whole story and figuring out how to like put it to a pitch that would be exciting to someone. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I wrote up a draft actually of my, the pitch that was going to go in my query letter. Um, and I ran that by a few different 
friends and family members just to try and get feedback, I guess. Um, to be honest, I don't remember what that first draft even looked like. <laughs> but uh, I, I really kind of leaned into what I thought were the marketable points and like the, the big selling points, which was, of course, the unique setting. So I had to make sure I captured a little bit of that, you know, Icelandic sort of, um, I, I want to say mysticism because Iceland is a very unique country, but it's not quite the word I'm looking for. Um, just, you know what I mean? Just kind of the, that Nordic, um, remote cold, the, the cold and distant landscapes. I had to capture that setting within the short pitch. And then from there, it was kind of leaning into the enemies to lovers thing, because I know that's also a good selling point. Um, and yeah, I think I sent out like 12 or 13 queries in total. And of those eight agents requested the full. So that's when I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm doing something right with this one that I wasn't doing right with my previous manuscript because I definitely never got that kind of response. Well, that's crazy. So it's really kind of like you, you really kind of had to like experiment with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had to resist that urge, you know, to constantly keep tweaking it after I had sent out queries to then be going back to the actual manuscript itself and be making little changes. And I just kind of <laughs> had to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to wait, see the responses and then go from there. Um, and I think it was about like two months from the time I had finished my edits to the time that I signed with Amy approximately. It was, it was a pretty quick process compared to, um, my fantasy. I think I spent like six months querying or eight months querying before I was like, maybe this isn't going as well as it could. <laughs> Very cool. So I guess once, um, I, cause I don't really, I've never gone through this process, so I don't know a ton about it, but like, once you go from like, uh, pitching the, pitching the story to some, to a, an agent and then the agent accepts it, I guess it's, I'm guessing after that kind of from what you're just talking about and from what I like read about, um, there's like a period of time where you have to do edits, right? Like based on what the agent wants. Is that how it works? So I, I can't speak to every agent and to, I think it's kind of a unique experience for everybody. Um, for me, Amy was actually an editor at Macmillan for seven years, I think before she was an agent. So she's very editorial as an agent. Um, so from the very first call where she, um, made the offer of representation, she kind of told me like she had a few things in mind that there were certain characters she would want to see more of. Um, you know, not really a specific word count goal or anything like that. It was just sort of what she was envisioning. And, um, at the end of the day, it was up to me if I wanted to incorporate that feedback. Um, but then once I actually, uh, signed with her officially, uh, she sent me an editorial letter, so to speak, which was just a few pages that she wrote up kind of focusing on, okay, more of this character, let's fix this little problem. Let's explain this better um, that sort of thing. So it was actually, it was extremely helpful because editing on my own, I probably wouldn't have thought about some of the stuff that she pointed out. And she certainly never told me how to correct it or anything like that. It was just, here's what I'm seeing. And then we would have a call after the letter where we kind of discuss, I kind of pitched like, okay, here's what I would do to change that. Mm. And she would kind of like, I guess, just spitball ideas back and forth with me. Um, and uh, we've actually had a couple of those calls now for different projects as well. Um, and it's one of my favorite things about having an agent is just having somebody that I can call up for 
an hour and a half and just talk about my ideas. It's pretty fun. That's super cool. I feel like that would be such like that's such a rare like experience to be able to do that with someone who really knows what they're doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I think I feel like any like writer, you know, especially like a creative writer would love to have that. So I guess um what are I guess not without getting anything, giving anything away from the story, but how much do you feel like how much do you think oh, did you feel like overall change from the time that you like pitched it to the time you got done with all your edits? Was it like a lot like big differences or was it overall pretty much the same or so I would say the core story is more or less the same. We didn't really change a whole lot of significant plot points or anything like that. Um, a lot of it was elaborating on things, uh, really bringing more of the setting to the forefront. Uh, I kind of felt when I was first drafting it, I didn't want it to read like a tour guide kind of playbook, you know, <laughs> where I was just, you know, taking the reader to every iconic Icelandic location I could think of. Yeah. And so I kind of went, I guess, um, light handed when I first wrote it. And Amy said, just go ahead. You know, if you can transport the reader, transport the reader, you know, no one's going to think that you're just going through a laundry list of locations or anything like that. And so I ended up adding a lot of scenes. I think we went from, I believe it was 63,000 words when I queried, which was kind of on the lower side to it's 99,000 now. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so, pretty significant. Yeah, I get I get a little, I guess, overzealous with adding, adding in scenes. But it's crazy because it didn't feel like I was adding that much when I was adding it. And then kind of at the end of the day, I look at the word count and it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> I think that's I think that's really interesting, though, that because I know I've read some things that say like the, when you know that you have the book, you kind of know. You know, like, because um, a lot of people write several books before they ever get one, like, published. Uh, but I guess it sounds in your case almost like you didn't really know you were just kind of trying it, you know? <laughs> and yeah. then it ended up working out, which is kind of, I just think that's interesting. Yeah, so. I, I definitely, in coming up with the idea, it was a very basic idea at the start, you know? And then it just kind of fleshed out as I wrote it, where the characters developed more depth and... The editing process did help that a lot, actually. Um, in that, in my first draft, I don't know that my that the love interest was super fleshed out. Um, I thought he was in my own head, but that didn't come across on the page necessarily. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't think that you know, oh, this you know, this idea is going to be the idea that lands me an agent. It wasn't like that until I started getting the full manuscript requests, and then I was like, maybe. But I still didn't want to get my hopes up. <laughs> That's so cool, though. But I, I can I, honestly, now that we're talking about it, I can kind of see why that that idea would. Obviously, I mean, of course, like from romance probably does pretty well in general. But I feel like people have a lot of interest in Iceland right now. Um, like, you know, tourism's on the rise there. And I don't think I've ever read like an American take on like some romance that happens in Iceland. I don't know. I've never read something like that. So it sounds super unique. Yeah, I, I was actually really scared when I had the idea to Google and see if anybody else had done it. That sounds so ridiculous because like either they've done it or they haven't. But I was just like halfway through writing it and I was like, has anybody else written this? And so then I was kind of like, do I want to Google this or do I want to just finish <laughs> writing and not demotivate myself? Yeah. But I didn't, I, you know, I did eventually Google it because I was looking for comparison titles and I didn't see anything that immediately came up. Mostly what came up were like, you know, Icelandic books written by Icelanders because, yeah, totally. you know, they have a crazy rate 
of like authors there compared to other countries. Oh yeah, it's like one out of every one hundred or something like that is a published author. I want to say it's one in ten, but I could be told. I could be wrong. You, about you that. might be right. You might be closer. I know that their rate <laughs> is just insane. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So as as far as I know, I don't know that another uh, American author has tried it. But even so, I ended up making my main character English from London and. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what made me do that. Other than when I was in Iceland, I met a lot of people from England that were just like, oh, it's a three hour plane ride. Like no big deal kind of thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm there from California. Like I'm in Iceland. Like this is far away from home. <laughs> so I guess I that's kind of what did that. In my head. Like, I wonder how you pulled that off. Cause I feel like if I tried to pretend like if not pretend, but if I tried to write from like an English, is it, is it, is it a first person narrative? By it the way? is first. Yeah. I feel like if I tried to write from a British person's point of view, I, I might be like, I might feel like I didn't know how to do that. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that you were able to pull that off in a, in a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, convincing way, you know? Yeah. I still, I would say a part of me still like wonders, like, did I, did I make it convincing? Um, <laughs> but funnily enough, actually, uh, when Amy had her first call with me, she told me that she was expecting me to pick up and have an English accent because she just assumed. Really? Okay. Wow. <laughs> I guess I didn't, in my little bio and my query, I did not mention where I was from or where I was living. So apparently, yeah, she read the manuscript and was expecting that I was English. So I guess that means it must have been convincing enough from an American perspective. I don't know oh, if yeah. somebody actually from England read it, if they'd be very convinced, but... <laughs> Does she like have like memories of like things in London that happened that you had to pull from and like make realistic or something? Or does she, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, how did you, how did you handle that? So, I, well, I have like my obsession with linguistics and accents and things like that. And so I kind of just went, I don't know. I kind of just went from there with my very rudimentary understanding of different accents and different areas. Um, and I, I have been to London, but I probably that's probably the place where I interacted with local people the least out of everywhere that I've ever gone. I don't really think I talked to much of anyone, so I definitely didn't have a lot to pull from there. Um, though, like I said, when we were in Iceland, we did talk to a bunch of English people. Uh, when we were at the um, not the Blue Lagoon, but the Secret Lagoon, me and my husband were there, and we were just like swimming around for hours talking to these people from <laughs> London. So. I guess maybe somewhere in my subconscious I pulled from that. I don't know. <laughs> How funny. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I was in London somewhat recently. I don't think I talked. I I'll hardly talked to anyone there myself. So I can. People. Well, I, I feel like in London, especially people aren't super talkative. So that might be part of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I would say out of everywhere I've been, like, I've talked to people in Germany the most. Not just because I've been there more, which I have, but also like constantly trying to practice my German and keep it fresh. So that's the country where I'm always like walking up to people and just like, Hey, striking up a Guten conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, in England, I don't think I talked to hardly any, like, I can't remember one conversation I had that was meaningful. I remember um, being in uh, Gloucestershire and trying to order fish and chips. And I could not understand what the guy said at all. Oh, Cause man, he was yeah. just talking really fast with like, really like colloquial phrasing. <laughs> and it was like, okay, could you, could you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I found, I don't know if you found this and I don't know if we maybe we talked about this before. I, we might've, I don't remember, but I just found like the cultural differences were really surprising to me. Yeah. I, I still have not had an English beta reader for that uh, particular manuscript. So I, yeah, there's a part of me that worries. I'm like, I don't know how convincing it would be to somebody that's actually from there, but 
you know, I did, I did my best without, uh, hopefully without stereotyping. I don't think I stereotyped, but, <laughs> but then of course there was a writing all the, uh, Icelandic characters as well. And that's a, a whole different thing in and of itself, <laughs> like trying to capture the, the attitude and, you know, certain elements of that culture, which is, you know, certainly not my own culture as much as I've studied it. You know, I don't know that, I don't know that I'm the authority on that at the end of the day. <laughs> But I feel like in some ways writing about, tell me if you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in some ways writing about the Icelandic people would be a little easier because you're, if you're writing from the English person's point of view, you can see them as like, like maybe she doesn't know them that well. And so like, you're kind of getting to know them. So it's kind of like you can, you, I feel like that would be pretty easy to do. I mean, not, not easy, but it would be easier. It, yeah. I, between the two, I would say that yes, writing the Icelandic characters was probably easier and I felt more confident in it than writing my English narrator, which is funny when you think about it. Cause like you said, you assume <laughs> that, okay, they speak English too, like same sort of thing in general, but it's definitely not. Um, I would say out of all the countries I've been to, I felt the most out of place in England and Scotland as two English speaking countries. I just felt like I stuck <laughs> out like a sore thumb with my American accent and yeah, I my felt American that way clothes too. and <laughs> People, people will just like look up at you like in England. Like I didn't notice as much in France, really. But like in England, if you're talking at like a supermarket, people will like kind of like we do here, I guess. They'll mm -hmm. like like they'll look over, but then like they're more polite than us. So then they'll like pretend they didn't do that, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I, I can totally relate to that. But um, did you so I guess when when uh, writing about Iceland, did you draw mostly from your personal experiences there? Or did you draw more from your reading or a mixture of both? It was mostly from personal experience, you know, in terms of writing the location, um, and, you know, locations, I should say, because they don't stick to one place. Um, but yeah, that was, that was mostly from personal experience. I did create a fictional town that is sort of loosely based off of, um, Vik, uh, down in like, it's like the southernmost town, I believe a town of like 300, people maybe i sort of loosely drew inspiration from that but i did make the town fictionalized so that i didn't have to worry about writing about a real town of a few hundred people and all the confusion that would come with that um but in terms of like the cultural attitudes and you know uh how the the main love interest responds to some of their cultural differences between the two of them um that i kind of drew i had to do a lot of research on and kind of had to draw from there are a lot of different random like icelandic youtubers i've followed for a long time and things like that and i just kind of <laughs> drew from other people's experience people that are living in iceland from abroad talking about what it's like dating in iceland and things like that um that was definitely not from my own experience <laughs> that was all just kind of referencing uh what other people had to say but hopefully hopefully it's accurate i feel like i feel like it came out pretty pretty convincing like i said i do feel more confident about the icelandic characters than the english so what are some what are some uh cultural differences cultural differences sorry that you came across like uh that impacted the story i guess so um in terms of like uh things that i incorporated into the story itself um i kind of got into like i'm sure you've heard about how there's an icelandic dating app to tell you whether or not people are your cousins because um, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I guess because they have. Like, oh, sorry. Really that well reminds me. I don't mean to get sidetracked. But have you? Did you see that that movie on Netflix with uh, the singing competition Eurovision? I am ashamed to say I have not watched it. I feel 
terrible because I know I should have watched it the second it came out. But um, I don't tend to watch movies a whole lot on my own. I don't know why I'm very like, it can, I cannot focus on a screen on my own. There has to be somebody else involved. I've, I haven't bugged my husband to watch that particular one or any of my friends or anything like that. So I just haven't gotten around to watching it, but I know I should. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you, but there's just a joke in there that they keep making where um, like Will Ferrell and I forget Rachel McAdams. No, look, I forget her. Is that who it is? Okay. Um, like they kind of like each other and he keeps saying, people keep asking if they're brother and sister or something. And he's always like, I'm pretty sure she's not my sister. It's like the funniest. I was like, that is so freaking funny. But no, I didn't know that they had a dating app. That's so funny. What's it called? <laughs> okay. I, that I don't actually know. It's an Icelandic word that I have not memorized and should have memorized probably a long time ago. Um, but I know that like their government keeps like really detailed records of family trees and things like that. So it's essentially, I think it's some algorithm that just pulls all the information out of that and just will like look up two people if they bump phones or something like that and be like, yeah, that's Hey, a crazy you're good thing, to go. <laughs> I, I, um, I know a guy in the government there. I mean, it's like probably a small government, but I know a guy and I emailed him cause I just wanted to know about like my family. Um, and he literally knew my family, like, not only just like my family that came here and they had records of like, like they were like, Gottskogsen was a farmer and he died with like nine kids, blah, blah, blah. So they, they knew about him and then they knew like everyone all the way back. Like it was the funniest. It was the craziest thing. I don't remember. I don't remember. I asked you this when we talked before. Do you have cousins that live there now that like, you know, I don't have anybody there that I know, but I do have family there. Like, um, I do like they know they know who my family is, but I have not. It's kind of funny because um, I actually don't know any of my Icelandic family because my grandma, who's Icelandic, uh, she was super independent. So she just kind of like left on her own, you know, like she just moved back, moved out to California and kind of was like, I'm doing my own thing, you know. So um, I never actually met any of my Icelandic family except for her. That'd be awesome if one day you could, if you can find them and go hang out. I mean, I, that's like, I have to go visit my cousins in Germany sooner or later. I haven't done it. They're all in Northern Germany and I am always in Southern Germany. For some oh, okay. Reason. I like mountains. So I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll get to the North eventually. Um, so you're going to love this, but there's actually a pro you might know about this, but there's a program in Iceland. That's, a, that's about getting um, American Icelanders back with their family. And, and so I could like I've actually talked to them and they, they were going to have me go. I just didn't have like I didn't I was busy at the time, so I didn't do it. But like they actually like you're going to you're not going to believe this, but they literally like put you with your family there and like you work like at their farm or like at their like coffee shop or something. That's so cool. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind the of I thing. mean, in my book, it's not they're not related, obviously, but kind of like a work stay sort of program where they house you and you just help out with things. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I would do it, but I kind of have a job and stuff to do here. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say. I would love to go like do a semester abroad or something like that. And then I'm like, but I have a husband and four pets yeah. and a mortgage. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the marriage part too. Like, yeah, that was kind of the thing I was like, well, how would, how would my wife feel if I was gone for however the heck long the, the program is, you know, like 10 weeks or something like I could probably pull it off, but she'd probably want to come out and visit. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, anyways, what we're we talking about? Oh yeah, we're talking about the dating app. Sorry, we got totally yeah, sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about cultural differences in Iceland. I didn't mean to like hijack this conversation with with Icelandic facts, but yeah, tell me about some of the the cultural differences you came across. So, 
Well, so this actually did come into play in the manuscript, not necessarily directly affecting their relationship, but just in terms of different scenes and kind of the culture shock for the main character was definitely the food, which I think a lot of people talk about. You can certainly find regular food all over the place, but then you kind of have the cultural foods, which are almost tourist foods because mm. no one really eats them on the day-to-day -to, -day to speak of. Um, like hakar, uh, and I'm not sure if I said that perfect. My Icelandic accent is probably very questionable, but that's like the fermented shark, you know? Um, and I've not, I did not actually try that one myself. Uh, I tried harfiskur, uh, which is just like the essentially fish jerky, um, which wasn't terrible. Uh, it also wasn't my favorite, but I found out after the fact that I guess a lot of people dip it in butter. And I guess that probably softens it and makes it a little bit and I didn't do that. I just shoved a whole piece of dry fish in my mouth and it took me like 20 minutes to chew it. And I was like, okay, the flavor isn't terrible, but this is, this is lasting a long time. Um, oh, that's funny. So I did incorporate like some of like the foods and things like that into the manuscript. Um, and then of course you have the famous liquor that they chase the hakar with, which is, uh, they call it black death. I think Brinevin is the Icelandic name, uh, which I think is like an aquavit. I'm not 100% on that, to be honest, because I don't think I've ever had another aquavit, so I don't really know how it compares. Uh, but it's very strong and has a little bit of like that, you know, licorice flavor to it. It wasn't bad. We brought a bottle of that back when we went to Iceland and made everyone we know take a shot of it. And some people loved it and some <laughs> absolutely hated it and thought it was the worst thing ever. But... I thought, it, I thought it was okay, you know, as shots of hard liquor go. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm actually I'm actually drinking um, Icelandic beer right now, by the way. Oh, is it uh, Einstock? Yeah. Nice, nice. I love that. You've I've had it? I've got uh, Hofbräu here, which is from... Yeah, that sounds good, too. Yeah. Um, kind of <laughs> my go-to. We've got... Because we live up here in the mountains, and there's not, you know, a ton of grocery stores easily accessible. Mm. But for some reason, we do have a very extensive, like, beer section at our grocery store, oh, yeah. I guess maybe because there's not a lot to do in the mountains. So they're like, oh, yeah, well keep what else are you going to do in the mountains? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got a ton of imported beers. So we do carry Einstock and um, and again, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I say Stock because that's how I would say it with a German accent. And I'm not I don't know if an Icelander would say it like that. And then we've got <laughs> a few German beers in store all the time. So that's kind of nice as a beer person to have easy access to imported. Oh, beers. yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But like, I guess, so what are totally the, the food? I can see how that would be like a big culture shock. But like, what are what are the differences in between like how they act interpersonally? Like, are there any differences or are they are they a lot like us? Or like, what are did anything like that stand out to you when you were there? Or what, what, what's your take on that? So when I was there, I found a lot of Icelanders uh, are very impatient about attempts at speaking Icelandic um, in Germany, like. If I made like a small grammar mistake or, you know, kind of struggled to find a word for a minute, people were really happy to help. Whereas Icelanders, because most people do speak English quite fluently, they just don't really want you to waste their time, like trying to practice your really shoddy Icelandic on them. <laughs> so while, while we were there, um, you know, there were a couple times that I tried to like say like small sentences, but you know, my Icelandic is very broken. I tried to order a donut at one place and I was like, uh, 
Yeh will that, which is just like, I want that. And I was just pointing. Um, and the girl was looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on your <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, she was just looking at me like I had lost my mind. Um, and then another time I tried to order an Icelandic, um, some fish and chips at this one little like gas station restaurant. And the guy just kind of like rolled his eyes and switched to English right away. And I was like, okay, sorry. Sorry for my embarrassingly bad Icelandic. <laughs> I, can, I can see why, like, like the connection you make, like that they, they all speak English so well. So they just want to talk English. But do you think that maybe part of that is, is because of how proud they are about their language? Like, do you think that might be why they don't like people like not doing it right? I don't know. What, what Do you think that plays into it at all? I can, I can imagine that it does. I feel like it would, you know, obviously... It, who knows on an individual case to case basis, but, um, actually the main love interest in the novel that I wrote, I did make him very proud culturally and a little bit defensive because of it. Um, because I felt like, you know, it just, it's such an old culture that has retained so much of, you know, its roots. And the fact that Icelandic is so similar to old Norse still to this day, I feel like, yeah, you probably would be a little defensive. And especially when your country does kind of get overrun by tourists in this day and age. Um, you know, on, on one hand, I'm sure it's fantastic for their economy and, you know, probably how a lot of people make a living. Um, but at the same time, like when you see people just being moronic or disrespectful, uh, I'm sure that's frustrating. One thing that uh, I've heard Icelanders complain about in videos and on forums and everything like that. And I did incorporate into the book is you have like the black sand beaches that are really iconic. And because you're so far North, you know, if a wave comes up and hits you, like it is like bone chilling cold. And if you somehow get sucked out into the water, you're kind of done for like, you're not really going to be able to swim for very long or anything like that. Even kind of in the warmer months, it's not exactly like swimming water. Um, and so I did incorporate that into my novel because I guess a lot of tourists just never read anything about that, don't know it. They come from other places where beaches are fine and they're playing chicken with this water that can like turn like violent in a second and yeah. like hit you with this massive wave and sweep you out and you're just good luck kind of thing. <laughs> That's why you never turn your back on the ocean, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Especially not in Iceland, maybe in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually never been to Hawaii. I know they have the black sand beaches as well. Um, yeah, they do. But... Yeah. Hawaii is awesome, but there it's, we actually were thinking about going there end of April, but I was like, it's, I don't know. I kind of want to go when things are fully open again to, I just feel like it'll be more fun, but yeah. 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 No, I agree. I, I'm definitely missing traveling, but it's not really worth it to travel right now, even if I could. I actually, yeah. speaking of Iceland and travel, I heard that they're supposed to be opening to people who are vaccinated I think later this month or maybe it's in May. Really? Yeah. And I was, I was surprised. I kind of expected that they'd be one of the ones that would hold out the longest because they're so isolated, you know? Um, I mean, <laughs> if I was from Iceland, I really would not want tourists right now. I feel like, uh, oh, actually, no, not I feel like, but this is something interesting that I know you, you have a house. You're not going to probably want to go do this, but they actually have a remote work visa there now. I was reading like you can, as long as you make above a certain amount of money, you can like live there and work for a certain like you know like a long i think indefinitely actually so that's pretty cool oh wow that's awesome yeah i uh 
I actually have some friends that probably would do that. So I will pass the yeah. information on. Yeah, I've got friends that they're just <laughs> also obsessed with Iceland, but they don't have responsible. Well, I shouldn't say that. They have responsibilities. <laughs> they don't have a mortgage and a husband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they would probably happily run off to Iceland for a while. Yeah, totally. So what are what are some of these other projects you're working on? So I have one manuscript that is totally out of left field compared to my normal stuff. Um, I just kind of had the idea randomly after I wrote the Icelandic romance for a rom-com. Um, and that one is essentially based around a podcast. Uh, it's about a couple of women who, young women, who run a dating podcast together that's about avoiding commitment. And then one of them quits to get married, which kind of flips their entire ideology on its head. And the other one is the main character who kind of has to play catch up and sort of come to terms with her friend, you know, changing the way they've done things. Um, so that is in the editing stages right now. I already got the editorial letter back from my agent. Um, we're both really excited about the potential there, but I am taking my time with edits because I do have a lot that I want to change with this one to kind of bring out the best of the story. Um, so that one, yeah, that one's still being edited on and off. I'm hoping within a month or two, I can kind of get that first round of edits done. And then from there, it'll be the smaller, easier edits. Um, and then my other project is a thriller, which is more going back to like my, okay, I call it a thriller, actually, rewind. I call it a thriller, but beta readers have told me it's closer to a mystery slash horror. So you know, take, take my categorization with a grain of salt there. Um, but it's kind of going back to my roots in terms of like mythology and things like that. Um, this one is drawing on sort of Anglo-Saxon and, um, middle English mythology. Actually, I should say old English and middle English. Apparently the term Anglo-Saxon is sort of, um, being de- decommissioned, I guess, in the academic world. And I still have not updated my personal jargon to catch up with that really how, why how come well so i guess it's a combination of factors um one thing that people have argued is that it, you know the term has been misappropriated by a lot of white supremacist groups oh, okay and then the other argument is that anglo-saxon doesn't truly incorporate all of the uh complexities of like early medieval england uh, I still I still tend to use it because I am referring to the group that would be called the Anglo-Saxons. And so that's kind of why I default back to that. I'm not referring to like the Celtic cultures that were present mm, in uh, yeah. Great Britain at the time. But um, yeah, so I guess it's it's kind of fallen out of favor as as interesting vocabulary goes. But yeah, so this this novel then is drawing on Old English and Middle English mythology um, for kind of the horror slash thriller element um so that That's one i just cool. submitted to my agent so i haven't gotten the editorial letter back yet but i'm excited to see what she has to say about it i hope she likes it <laughs> that's so cool that she's like that you like have like this in with this agent who's interested in like other works that you're other works and projects that you're doing too that's like the dream that's so awesome i was gonna say we talked about it on that first you know um agent author call when she made the offer of representation she said that she figured that when she read the Icelandic romance, it's called 63 Degrees North. I don't think I said that. So when she read 63 Degrees North, 
she said she got the feeling that I had other genres kind of in my head and other ideas going on. And I said, yeah, I do. And she said that she would be willing to represent me for those. So we kind of are just working together as I pull other ideas out and uh, <laughs> try to shape them up into something hopefully readable. <laughs> I, uh, I really, it was really cool catching up with you again. And hopefully we can maybe do something again somewhat soon, maybe less long than a like a year a couple months or whatever <laughs> it was kind of a kind of a weird year though it just sort of all blended together you know oh yeah it didn't it didn't really feel like a full year it's total blur for me but thank you so much <laughs> for having me back this is awesome I'm really glad we got to talk again yeah yeah me too so um just for my listeners can you just uh, let them know what the best best way to um get in touch with you on social media or via your website things like that yeah, so uh, my website is always one of the easiest ways. It's kristenjmiller.com. Kristen is spelled with a Y. I'm sure Joe can link that to make it easier rather than me spelling it out. <laughs> and then uh, my Twitter handle is the next best place, which is also Kristen J. Miller. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Kristen. So this has been another episode of Keeping Up With Joe. And again, I know I've been saying this a lot lately, but one of the best things you can do to make sure you get all of these podcasts and all the latest content is to go to josephrideranderson.com and subscribe. Um, subscribers get curated content emailed to their inbox monthly, and they're part of basically part of the email family. So it's a great time. We have lots of fun. So anyways, thanks again so much, Kristen. And I think that's a wrap.